0: impulse to, to demonstrate, it's like, hey, I understand the harm, I understand the gravity. Like, there's, there's something I have to prove for myself to be seen again, right? I guess I'll just ask for some trust.
1: Hello, I'm Eden, and this is Keep the Mess, Messy Conversations with Messy People, where we have conversations about how we relate to our bodies and go down whatever rabbit holes we find. I started this podcast because I'm a bit obsessed with this topic. I struggle with embodiment myself and want to learn about how other people live in and out of their bodies. I figured if I'm interested in these things, chances are that others are interested as well. So welcome, fellow obsessives. In this episode, I speak with my friend Michael. This was recorded May 7, 2022, and it's the third interview I did. This is the first half of my beautiful and intense conversation with Michael. I'm incredibly thankful to Michael for their willingness to share vulnerable aspects of their story with me. I want to recognize that one of those is about how Michael has been convicted of child molestation. I understand that this is one of the most sensitive topics out there, and it may be difficult to listen to. However, I will say that of all the people I've talked to with for this project, Michael was the most aware of how talking publicly could cost them, and also the most mindful in their speech. In this first part, Michael talks about trauma, gender, spirituality, and their experience with the criminal legal system. This is the earliest recording I will be releasing, which is why the interview is as long as it is, though I believe that Michael and I needed to take more time given the sensitivity of this topic. Another consequence of it being an early recording, is that the audio is not ideal. A transcript should be attached in case you need it. Content warning for talk about transphobia, self-harm, suicidality, sexual abuse, and rape. And lastly, I want to remind people that just because I have someone on this podcast doesn't mean I agree with them on all matters, or even many. These episodes are not about facts or saying things perfectly, but about people's stories, their experiences, their processing. Connecting and communicating with ourselves and each other is a messy affair, so I ask for a listening ear, and some grace. All right, here's my first half of my interview with
2: Michael. Do you want to talk about how we know each other?
0: Yeah. So, do I tell through recovery? Uh, the particular group we were in is very affirming and supportive of GLBTQ folks. Mm-hmm. I I think the first time I had. You. Oh yeah, so that 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 group had a tradition of asking for our pronouns and At the time like I I, I, I particularly remember your, your pronoun choices and It was he and she then. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he or she. I he think. or she. Yeah. Yeah, and I myself had really been struggling with that question mm-hmm. and wasn't sure <laughs> Sort of where I wanted to go with that. I think at that point I was saying he or they. Mm. But I really appreciated having that question continually brought to me, mm. and my gaining some confidence and asserting mm. they-them.
2: Yeah, I didn't realize that you weren't confident about that
0: at the time. I was not. <laughs>
2: I've just sort of always assumed that you had it figured out, which I think that's probably more about me. and. I- thinking that other people have it figured out.
0: Well, my struggle, I think, in that, was a lot of my questioning whether I, I or say had earned it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, whether I presented outside of, you know, the cisgendered norms enough, mm-hmm. and just what, what did that really mean, like, what did, what did I have to have in order to say they, them, for me? Right. I felt that there was requirements, and it took me some time mm. to get my head around that.
2: Yeah, I do feel that in the trans community, a lot of how I earned this? Am I trans enough? Am I non-binary enough? There's a whole trans imposter syndrome,
0: <laughs> <laughs> which we've lived as imposters for so long.
2: That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but then feel like impostures when we actually get to more of who we are. I'll also add that we, for the, I guess since COVID started, right, that we've been in a little spiritual group. Yeah. Is that what what uh, what would we even call that group now?
0: I don't know. I I've called it a spiritual reading group, but we read a lot of poetry. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we talk about things that move us, and we have a shared understanding of some sense of spirituality and some sense of queer identity, and I feel like we've gone a long ways with that. <laughs> I've been very appreciative of having that, um, and in fact, that time and being in that community like has really helped me settle into my sense of identity as a queer person and feel more comfortable and sort of what that means.
2: Yeah, it just happened to become this queer and trans space. Which I don't know if that was on purpose, but that's what ended up happening.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Would that have happened if COVID I doubt COVID? it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, so for me, the reason why I asked to have that group was I was finding that the online spaces that we had for recovery were not working. They weren't safe for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I still had some needs that weren't being met. And so it it take some effort to, oh, hey, all right, how can I have my needs met, right? Like, mm-hmm. how, how can I create this space that I don't have? Yeah. And, you know, saying, how could I create this? Yes, and that's how I phrased it to myself, but also recognition, like, you can't do these things by yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I've been so appreciative of you and the other individual in that meeting. I don't know. I don't know what to say. Just, just sitting in community. Yeah. It's, it's really been very grounding for me and an ungrounded time.
2: Yeah, I think it's probably been the spiritual place that I've had in the last two years where I felt the most safe and also just uh, I think I think what we have learned in that group is that spirituality doesn't have to be directly about spirituality (laughs) and that being with people is spiritual Mm -hmm. listening to reading is spiritual sharing writing which has happened a couple of times is spiritual and I think that art is just inherently spiritual. Mm-hmm.
0: I agree, yeah. I've talked to you about this before, but I, I've had a uh, had an argument with somebody in a writing group about, you know, what is an act of writing? What kind mm-hmm. of act is it? And- they were very adamant, It's like, oh, writing is a political act. It's always inherently a political act. <laughs> I was like, no, it's a spiritual act. <laughs> and, um, you know, they're both kind of true. And I guess, you know, it depends a lot on approach and perspective. I really like thinking about it as a spiritual act, though. Like, yeah. that's that's what I want to do <laughs> with my writing.
2: Yeah. yeah. I've really appreciated that group and getting to know the two of you in there because yeah i didn't i didn't really know either of you all that well i knew that both of you were interesting folk, and that was about it <laughs> so yeah i'm glad for that and yeah i was wondering if you could introduce yourself in any way that you feel is fitting or isn't? it's important for you. This is what you want people to know about you or about who you are.
0: Oh, interesting. What What do I want people to know about me? Um, yeah, that's it's kind curious. of a big question. <laughs> that, <laughs> no, no, that's huge. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have all sorts of ways I want to project about that, but uh, it, you phrased it in a very curious way. What do I want people to know about me? I think really what I want people to know about me is I care very deeply about the world. Yeah. I look for ways to contribute. I'm often afraid that I do not have ways to contribute.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, do I need anything more? Maybe not. <laughs> I mean, afraid a lot, like, th- 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 there are a lot of things I, that I feel like define my story that aren't, that's not really the story I want to tell.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And I feel like I need to overcome those things continually mm-hmm. in order to be seen, yeah. be human, right? Like, many of us in recovery have had very, uh, say, adverse childhood experiences, I had as well I think one of the ways I can characterize that best is to say I was often not seen mm. and uh, I mean I, I think at some point we're, we're, we're gonna start talking about bodies but um, like sort of connected to this right is this idea of um, like I, I really felt very invisible most of my life especially in childhood and I mean so much so like I, I mean like just like I mean, we, we talk about being disconnected from our body but yeah I, I feel like I felt this in a very real sense you know even surprised when it's like I'm seen or noticed or shrinking when I'm seen or noticed mm-hmm. yeah just getting my head around you know inhabiting space and having an impact on others has been It's been interesting, right? I mean, I would say something of a challenge recognizing that, right? For me and my recovery. And I mean, I'm also just going to talk about I'm going to dive into a little bit of, you know, the fear of not being seen in, you know, my story. Yeah, and... About 14 years ago now, Mm -hmm. um, I... I hurt somebody, right? I, I I harmed a child in my care, um, which I've been convicted for, right? I, um, uh, just to be clear, yeah, my, my conviction was a, a, a child molestation and in the first degree, Uh, This is somebody in my care, as I said, Um, and yeah, you know, it's interesting, there are so many things I can say about this, Mm -hmm. and in a lot of respects, I feel like there's just not enough time to say everything there's so much you know like I feel like it's something that needs to have a lot said about it too right I, I feel an impulse to I mean partly to demonstrate it's like hey I understand I understand the harm I understand the gravity like there's there's something I have to prove for myself to be seen again right I guess I'll just ask for some trust, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to go there because it'll it'll sort of consume every moment you and I have here. <laughs> I think we have other things to talk about, but um, yeah, this is big. You know, um, some of where that came from for me is and what I was talking about, right? About not understanding, right? That I have an impact on the world, like literally, like. Mm-hmm seeing myself very invisible and, you know, um, yeah, so, like, sort of discovering in a very real and hard way that I'm an actor in the world, I do things, it affects people, as opposed to I living in this unreality of, you know, this sort of disembodied intelligence, <laughs> which which was my experience for a little more than half my life. but. Oh, well, maybe a little bit more and a little more, but...
2: Well, it sounds like yeah. you felt other for quite a lot of your life.
0: Felt other. I, I mean, I certainly f- didn't feel that I belonged, mm-hmm. right? Like, I really didn't have a sense of community or acceptance. I mean, a lot of this comes from uh, my father was... In the air force we moved around a lot i, I was always sort of the the outsider mm. kid you know trying to get into new cliques new groups you know make new friends mm. and i didn't do that very well I was, I was very shy like painfully shy um but but also i don't know like there's, there's some intersection here with like identity as well right like mm. sort of having something to, there's this term that a a writing professor of mine used to use a lot when we talk about writing, and talk about needing something to hang your hat on, Hmm. right? This, like, real tangible thing that sort of, like, pulls you into an experience. I would say, like, for myself, like, I didn't really have something to hang my hat on, right? Like, I was Hmm. very adrift in my life
3: mm.
0: and in a lot of ways didn't know myself and I don't know, I mean that's kind of dangerous too, right? Like when I don't know myself I let other people tell me who I am <laughs> right? Which has been a lot a lot of, of problems um, for me and I don't know, I, I thought about this a lot in the context of gender too it's like this is part, it's by no means all, it's part of the reason why I, I choose they, them, they, them pronouns. It's like, I don't, and I would say, like, I don't identify,
3: mm.
0: right? Like, I, I never really inhabited for myself a sense of maleness or a sense of femaleness. A lot of it, like, that. the, the they're very foreign to me, like, I don't, I don't understand them, and in fact, when, when I hear them, and I see them, and I see displays, and I see, like, gender roles, and, like, they, they're, they're so, like, they're bizarre to me, <laughs> mm. I struggle with it. And, and I struggle with it in a number of ways. I mean, I struggle with what's asked of me. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm being asked to be some way because I'm being read some way. And I was like, oh, this is it's weird. But also, like, when I see other people do it, I'm just like, yeah, it's... It, it, it. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think that's just the best I can describe that. And... I don't know, to me, like, it, it's almost equivalent as, like, choosing to be a sports fan rooting for a particular team or other, like, like, that's about how I understand and see sort of, like, a, at least for me, like, you know, mm-hmm. like, if I were to really want to be male. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I find myself really relating to you when you said how you grew up with mm-hmm. your dad in the sorry what did you say air, air force, air force yeah. okay that's what i thought and it sounds like you moved a bit
0: about every four years or so i mean there's some kids had it worse right but yeah it's still rough you know it's like still rough <laughs>
2: yeah and and i i moved around a lot as mm-hmm. a kid and was always yeah that that new person and m- my way of dealing with it was that i, I adapted pretty quickly and I was sort of beloved <laughs> but I think what you and I share is, is that sense of of n- knowing that we don't belong or or feeling that we don't belong and it makes sense to me when you talk about you know being given the these options of like well you are this or you are this and you're like why, or,
0: yeah, well, you know, like I'm trying to think, like, when when did that really enter into my consciousness? Like, that was actually probably my 20s. I, I, maybe I'll just give it a little mm-hmm. bit of history for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I don't feel like the question was even like presented to me as a child, like, I didn't think about it, mm-hmm. I didn't think about the, ah, That's not true, that's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember there was. I lived in Michigan, there was a girl neighbor who I played a lot with. And, you know, we played Barbies, <laughs> right? And I loved it, right? Um, but I also remember thinking like this was not like supposed to, the boy thing that I was supposed to be doing. And and I think I think she even brought this up. She's like, You're a boy, why are you playing Barbies with me? <laughs> and but I was gonna say, like, I I mean for one, like I, I didn't care about that, but other than that, like it didn't didn't really come up much for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't have probably didn't have a lot of like gender modeling. I mean my father my father wasn't really much of a presence in my life. I mean he, he was an alcoholic and you know naturally because of that what ended up not being really uh, involved. Uh, with me much he was also violent and uh at some point later so very early on like not much of a sense of like gender stuff except for there's some weird rules I'm like what's this about as I got a little older and got this sense of you know okay so I'm supposed to be a male but like sort of what I'm what I see in in front of me as male is something that I, was very horrifying for me, right? That was something I very much didn't want, you know? And and I had... I don't know, like, also it was something I, I very much wanted to push away from it. Like, I didn't want to be this. Uh, I didn't want to be a monster, mm-hmm. um, which is sort of, like, the definition that i i kind of had for what it meant to be male so i had that for a long time and then when i started getting into puberty you know a lot what am i want to say like a lot of kids start asserting themselves and like showing about how well they're gendered mm-hmm. and that I, I think for boys that often becomes Picking on other people who don't really demonstrate like mm-hmm. <laughs> those traits very strongly, and I didn't, um, and and I got I got ridiculed a lot in school, and also I had an older brother who very much picked on me about mm-hmm. not being masculine and well, like being ugly and no girl would ever like me, sort of things, right? And so I started having that a lot and just like really feeling this sense of okay, like, so one, I'm not male in the way that society wants me to be. And two, I don't really want to be it. Right? I used to call this, you know, as I thought about it to myself, I used to call it my double bind. You know, like I'm being asked to be something I don't want to be. Like, It's like, how how do you not be this thing that also is bad, (laughs) right? Yeah. Um, It was really weird. And, like, I kind of didn't know what I thought about this. And also, like, you know, I was also dealing with a lot of things, like, really wanting to exert, like, what would be traditionally thought of as very feminine traits, you know? Wanting to dress femininely, um, wanting, you know... (sighs) I, I still have this every time, like every you know, when I see icons, you know, pop pop stars or, or, you know, depict uh, other depictions of people or, or or even people I meet in real life who. Step outside of sort of gender norms. I feel. I want to say like. <laughs> It's the same feeling I, you know, I get if, if, if I would watch a, a very cute puppy video, (laughs) right. Mm I'm just like, oh, like there, there's a breath of relief, Mm -hmm. you know, um, there's that, I don't know, I, I, I'm sure there's some hormonal (laughs) responses there too, right. You know, it's, it's such a feeling of comfort for me and, uh. Sometimes some like deep some sadness or loss, you know, um, I don't always feel like these things are available for me. Because of how I talked about it a little bit with my background and like my my conviction, right? And thinking about how will these things be interpreted. Um yeah. and you know, I, I'm under increased scrutiny. Um you know, i st- I'm I'm still so, you know, I, I still report to the Depart- department of corrections, right? Like this this is for the rest of my life. And yeah, you know, like the state is not very excited about queerness.
3: Yeah.
0: Um yeah. and wait the state. Yeah the state.
2: Do you mean the state is in State, or do you mean state as in?
0: Sure, I, I mean the state the as state. in, you yeah. know, uh, institutions. But yeah, well, the state as well. Sure, you know, probably better than some places, right? But you know, I, I, I know for a fact that there are trans individuals in right mm-hmm. <laughs> in prison uh, who the state refers. Refuses to use their pronouns, right? Yeah. I uh, Yeah, so I have a lot of fear, right? Like I, <laughs> I I don't want to be open with with the state because Because I think it'd be misconstrued mm-hmm. as being deviant mm. um, And in fact, you know, as as I've had therapy and like this is a topic I, I attempted to approach with therapy mm. Like, my therapist, <laughs> they're very much not interested in talking about. It.
2: Talking about queerness? Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Hmm. And particularly, like, uh, I wanted to talk about gender identity issues. And um, this was not something I was able to. And when I say therapy, like, this is, like, court mandated therapy. Oh, okay. I had. There we go. Yeah. I was like, why are you seeing this, this therapist? <laughs> this yeah. was court mandated therapy, which I finished many years ago. Uh, but actually like there is a therapist that I had seen that was originally associated with that court mandated therapy that I've seen since then and uses my pronouns and I'm very happy mm-hmm. about. Yeah. I like I've drifted off a bit.
2: Yeah, let's let's mm-hmm. let's bring it back to to what I, I think you or, were trying to mm-hmm. talk to, I which was I believe talking about your conviction and and things after that is that where you wanted to start?
0: No, I I think it. Trying to remember, <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe I can let this one go. But uh, yeah, it's around, it's around gender identity okay. and. Um, oh yeah, I was talking a little bit about my history of sort of gender awareness and kind mm-hmm. of like what what that. That was like for me, and then, and you know, hitting puberty, like that became very different, and and I started feeling very deficient, sort of, mm-hmm. in, in my displays, and like not really wanting to do that. Oh yeah, and this like kind of comes down to choice of pronouns, and it's like it, it's been a lot of things to me. I, I talked a little bit about how I was sort of reflective of like my not having like literally not having identified with these rules, like not being able to understand them. But also this like really disaffirmation for me of, of me, like
3: mm-hmm.
0: being able to show up and present in any way mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: that feels whole and helpful for me. And not have sort of these expectations thrust on me, you know. So it really is, like, for me, very much a a self-affirmation. I mean, it's partly an affirmation of being enough. Right. Right? It's also a recognition of, hey, like, I don't get this stuff and it's okay. (laughs) Right? It's also a recognition that, you know, I would really like to... Dress femininely, and to, uh, and to what? Like, what else do I really want? I I like the idea of being glamorous, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Like, there's a certain celebration in that, mm-hmm. and that's not something that's really given to masculine, you know that that it's like it's a very joyous expression right Mm -hmm. (laughs) this idea of glamour and yeah like there's a lot of fun in that right there's a lot of fun Mm -hmm. in that that a lot of freedom a lot of of whimsy right i I feel like i'm expected to be too serious (laughs)
2: You know, while we've been talking, I have been noticing your wedding ring.
0: Oh, yeah. Which
2: is <laughs> beautiful. What, yeah. what stone is that?
0: I want to say this is malachite. Malachite. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. And, and I, I was thinking about how men don't tend to be allowed, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. to have things that are beautiful mm-hmm. or anything that sort of smacks of femininity mm-hmm. it is women who have stones on their wedding rings and, mm-hmm. and men mm-hmm. have um I remember when my partner and I were shopping for his wedding ring everything was thick and like
3: ur, ur, yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah, 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 you know and so
0: yeah I I've chosen to express femininity mostly in like accessories mm-hmm. I don't have it on me but like I have I have a woman's wallet mm. uh, this this is a quote woman's ring <laughs> that right. i'm wearing i have women's glasses that i wear mm. they're mostly small displays they're things that i feel like i can get away with more mm. right they're a little less noticeable yeah i i have a ton of fear around this and I, I mean a literal fear for my safety. I mean both by the the state as I mentioned, but also just like I, I had fear for violence done upon me.
2: Yeah I don't know if you remember this, but I remember after we <laughs> had just left our recovery gathering you and I chatted and you had gotten a haircut recently. And mm. a number of people in our gathering had oh, yeah. noted it. And I remember you having this frustration of how excited people were that you would cut your hair. <laughs> yeah.
0: And yeah, I yeah.
2: wondered, did that have to do with gender? Or was oh,
3: that yeah. related to something well, else? Well,
0: this is something I've experienced all my life. And I've, I've kind of gone through periods of various hairling. Herald- I mean, like right now, as you see me, and I'll. I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> I'll call out the uh, recorders <laughs> in the room. You can't see this, but I have long hair, right? Um, <laughs> shoulder length, I guess you'd call it. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I've i gone through various hair lengths, hair colors, other kinds of styles throughout my life. And every time I've gotten a massive haircut, whacked it short, you know, everybody's like, oh, my God. Like, everybody seems relieved. It's like, oh, oh it's so great. Nice to see your hair. You know, it's yeah. like... This has been since I've been a teenager, right? Like, it's. I don't know that I've done it that many times, but I, I, I've done it a few. And, and it was also weird because this is in recovery. This is in the group that was, you know, supportive of us. Yeah. And I don't know how it was meant, but that's certainly how it was received. Mm. And maybe it's, you know, quite possibly not even intentional, but... Still, like there's expectations now. I present, and you know, if I right. showing up with a more masculine presentation is celebrated, right? So that was frustrating. I, I really. But that. I just want to say one more yeah. thing, though. My hair length is often indicative of my sense of safety, and if I'm feeling more comfortable with myself and more safe, I will permit myself that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll tell you at that that particular time, I was very much not feeling safe. I was I was a little concerned. I'm like, oh. I was having a little trouble with the state at the moment and not of my own. Like, it's just, it, I, I had a really crazy experience with the corrections officer that was challenging. And, you know, I was just like, Oh, you know, what if, what if I go to jail? Like, I can't show up like this, mm-hmm. right? I will be raped. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much of it, like, I really don't think it's an overstatement in the time I had spent in jail. I was virtually harassed and threatened with rape continually. It was, yeah, it was pretty terrifying. And I would say overall, like, the worst, really the worst aspect of all of that, right? I think about that often. as like, I can do time. <laughs> Having liberties restricted is not, I mean, it's not great, right? But you can get through that. Like, I can find ways to make it spiritually meaningful. It's the it's a perpetual threat of rape that is not so it used to have dealt with.
2: Yeah. As someone who was born female-bodied and experiences the world that way, I remember my partner and I left the house at the same time, and we were both putting in our earbuds to listen to whatever it was on our way to work. And I remember him asking me, why are you just putting one earbud in? And I remember thinking, only a male-bodied person would ask me that. And right now I'm realizing, not just male-bodied people, but people who don't have a constant fear of being raped, Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. really changes a lot of things. You said during your time in jail you experienced Mm -hmm. this, how much time did you spend?
0: not spend much time, (laughs) luckily. Yeah, so I had 22 days in jail, which for my crime is little. I have a suspended sentence, a five-year suspended sentence. So actually, for the rest of my life, I have that hanging over my head. And it's another story in itself. But yeah, so I had 22 days in jail. I feel guilty saying that. (laughs) <laughs> right? Like I, I have some sense of like how that might be received or heard. Mm. I, I feel like and, and I will take a moment to explain a little bit why <laughs> that's the time that I faced. And so so my conviction, it was a plea bargain. I did plead guilty. Um, the particular sentencing is known as the SOsa. It's a special sex offender sentencing alternative. I was particularly eligible for this on a number of counts. One having, you know, established contact or established relationship with my victim, having uh, support from, well, in this case, the mother of the victim. The victim was not of the age that could support or not support. Um, I mean, other other considerations, including the fact that I had self-reported. Uh, this crime yeah but like I'm also uh, like saying this and then if you like all this like it's it's so interesting and and, and a little bit of difficulty in talking about these things in in a situation like this where like it like I recognize and affirm that this is a very serious topic Mm. (laughs) it's also not what we're talking about today (laughs) Well, we may or may not be, but I'm just saying, like, it's, um, it's very hard to deal with appropriately.
3: Yeah.
0: Because there are, I mean, it it deserves attention, Mm -hmm. and it gets attention. But also, it kind of can't get attention, it can't get the full attention it needs in every moment that it comes up. Because then, because then it, it... Consumes everything.
2: Well, a couple of things I want to say is, one, we're here to talk about what you want.
0: To talk I know. About. No, I don't. Yeah.
2: So, so I I, so that, and two, there, we don't have to have just one interview. Yeah. yeah. So I just want to give space yeah. and allow you to go for what you want.
3: Sure. This sure. to be. Sure. And...
2: You know, right now I notice you're using a lot of like very technical and sort of distant language. Uh, yeah. And I was wondering, is this out of is this out of protection for you? Is this out of protection for your victim and your victim's mother?
0: Yeah, I. I appreciate the call out, I think it's accurate, Um, I'm considering, I think there's a couple things going on, I mean one, I think it's reflective of anxiety, of course, Um, but also (laughs) it's a bit reflective of my therapy around this. Mm. And that we did a lot of work and exercises and and sort of taught I you do know, I say like various ways of our taking accountability mm. for what we've done and for um, accountability and also various ways that we might talk to people that we've harmed mm. and. talk to the people. Talk to the people, yeah. I mean like specific exercises around like writing letters, which may or may not actually be received, but like ways to take accountability, to demonstrate some empathy, Mm -hmm. uh, to clarify like, you know, what was it that we did, right? Because particularly in the case of children that might not really be very clear or understood, right? Mm -hmm. And this had mixed use, right? It, it was used therapeutically for victims mm-hmm. of sexual abuse, but also for as a process for us. Uh, and sort of coming to better understanding. But I'm not sure how, how good our therapeutic of experiences these were always, in that I think they were often very, we very much went to distancing language. Um, Are meaning
2: you and the therapist?
0: Oh, I I didn't describe that. These were group sessions. Okay, there we go. I kept
2: wondering, why are you using... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because I know sometimes, I know for me, when I... I will use the language of you and things like mm-hmm. that when I don't want to describe yeah. myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was yeah, like, yeah. No, So like,
0: me. these are group sessions and we would workshop this all together. Like somebody would bring in some prepared work. Okay. And, I mean, very much like a writer's workshop, you know, criticism <laughs> and red underlines. Oh, don't say this. You're not taking responsibility. And, mm. Right? Yeah. But, but also, because of the impact that these things could have on somebody hearing them, Right. We often would get pretty distant to some you know, mm. like, so. And I think like I have so many years of being habituated to talking about this. Way. Like, I think I fall uh, into that, like, yeah. immediately.
2: Talking about it in a way that it is not specifically triggering. Yeah. And. Yes, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because right now I'm, I'm remembering when I heard you tell your story at a gathering, and and you had done it, you had volunteered last minute to do it, which I remember thinking was very brave. I think it's brave when anyone does Mm -hmm. that. Um, But I remember that you talked about it in a way that was fully understanding the weight of what you had done. Uh, No defense about that. Mm -hmm. And yet also with caring about yourself and your own history. Mm -hmm. And I remember what an impact that had on me
3: Mm
2: -hmm. and how refreshing it was. And I, I think I remember maybe a month or so ago when I had said to you, how, how much your your story had meant to me. Basically, the, the ways that it uh, helped me view myself with care and with gentleness and forgiveness. And I remember you said that you both understood what I was saying, but it was also painful.
0: Oh, yeah. I don't yeah. remember
2: the exact words that I said. Yeah,
0: I'm trying to remember what it was. Oh, yeah, you you were talking about a bit of how if even I could have <laughs> oh, man, just come back, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. even I <laughs> could have come back, uh, or, you know, like, have, what I want to say, like, you valued me, and if even I had value, like, that sort of sense. Yeah, um, which is, I,
2: yeah it's just, I can hear it now. This is the reason I didn't remember it. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I, I get it. And and I also get that I uh, came from a place of love. No, it really did. No, 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 honestly, honestly, honestly. Like, th- th- this is what it means to trust somebody, mm. right? Uh, yeah. And I trust you. And I also, like, I feel and inhabit that spot, right? Like, I know... I know what it means to be considered a monster and yet I and yet I have to live my life (laughs) right and also I have found ways to live meaningfully I found ways to pack more into the stream of life Mm. right and it is hard Right? Like, I have those barriers. Those are real barriers. What you called out is something I really face. You know, this question. I mean, these are real doubts that I have for myself. Uh, These are real things that I feel like I'm judged on all the time. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like, it brought up a lot of that pain, right? A lot of this, it's like, oh, yeah, but I'm often seen this way in the world. And it was also affirming, you know, like it really was both at the same time, you know. It like it touched on something real.
3: Yeah.
0: Right. And I know that you 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 love and affirm me and care for me, right? Like I know that, like, and I I have the capacity, I have the uh, tenacity to hear, you know, that some of that difficult truth, like. Spoken aloud. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. I was speaking specifically about suicidality.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: Which is something you've also experienced.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've experienced a lot of that. I mean, sort of coming back to body a bit, too. I feel like my suicidality has a lot to do with that. And I'd say on a couple, couple of fronts. You You had previewed a little bit about my going into a bit of the uh, (laughs) philosophy of body and what it means for me. Uh, I'm going to jump on it. You haven't asked it yet, but I'm going to do it. Um, Oh, I
2: never planned on asking these questions. Oh, okay.
0: Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, no, this is something I was thinking about, you know, before we started talking. It's like, what does body mean to me, right? And um, in some ways, like, I really thought, I was like, body means death i'm like why why does body mean death right it means death mm-hmm. because well, in some very real ways if i didn't have a body i mm-hmm. wouldn't die right like a body is exemplary of my of my mortality right of, of, of my limits right if i have a body i can only do so many certain things right like i'm stuck here I'm not somewhere else, right, so you know I'm not omnipresent, my god <laughs> right
3: yeah
0: i I you know I'm not all powerful I have you know limited physical strength I have you know like mm-hmm. yeah it it entirely demonstrates like my limited capacity, right, and so like in a lot of ways, as I was saying like body body for me is like, is death or at least is mortality, right. And, okay, so so we're getting to suicidality, sort of what what this is about, and a lot of my struggle in my life has been learning to accept limits, accept my mortality, accept my limits of capacity, and a lot of that has been accepting the limits of my body, what it is to me, and not being able to give everything to me that I necessarily want it to. And I hadn't accepted that a lot in my life and and, and that would come out and I would say suicidality, but it, it's really a lot more than that. So as a as a teen, I w- I was a cutter, right And that for me, like I hear people talk about that and you know say that oh, it's all about you know the release or It's like no. no, no. Um, That was not the case for me. It was not, like, some way me, like, gaining control, or... I think it was a lot about... Well, for some... Like, it was two things. It was punishment, Mm -hmm. and it was intentional disfigurement. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: Right? And both of them had a lot to do with body. So, like, my hatred of my body, that's something... I experienced for a long time a long long time I, I still don't feel great about body but the question of it like just doesn't loom in my mind like it used to so like I have some relief from that question right? mm. but yeah the disfigurement was very much well, put it like how dare you be this way? I mean, to my body, right, um, and not being, not being content, but also very wrapped up in this whole sense of, like, how others, you know, view my body and, like, how others experience my body and not ultimately, like, not being able to accept a lot of these, like, messages I was getting, as I was talking about before, from from my peers, from my brother, from, Mm -hmm. from media, right, of expectations, not feeling like I was anywhere near, like, what the world wanted me to be, and, um, Okay, I'm coming back. Maybe it was a control thing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the truth is, it's always a control thing. <laughs> oh darn it! <laughs> Just
0: learned something about myself today.
2: <laughs> I know. I I always find that as I'm saying something, that that my sentence morphs, like my purpose morphs <laughs> over this period, like the period of the sentence, and I'm like. I came to a different conclusion than I expected at the beginning of that.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's also a lot of like morality and stuff that was kind of mixed up into that. Like mm-hmm. I was, so when I was 11, mm-hmm. I was raped by a female friend of the family on two occasions. And shortly after that, it's what I would call now, uh, What I understand now is abuse-reactive acting out, right? And so I engaged in, I would say, some strange sexual behaviors at age 11. And, you know, like, that very quickly, like, I associated that with my sexuality. And had a lot of feelings about that and, like, what that meant for me. So... Like, there's, I had a lot of sort of, like, punishment behavior and a lot of, like, I don't know, just, like, threats against myself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to keep myself in check, so to speak. So, so there's a lot of that, too. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. They're all kind of all, like, mixed up and intertwined for me.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: But ultimately, like, it really does, in one way or another, come down to body shame. You know, shame of what, what I might do with my body, or shame of my body itself, and like how's it seen, you know, or like experienced. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like that was that was real hard for me, and get going back to therapy. Like it's weird. I I have a little bit of an extra grind in that. Like therapy really didn't want to deal with this one either, and, and it's funny because like
1: the the court appointed.
0: Yeah, the court appointed therapy. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was reading my. My so I had an evaluation as part of my process and having the SOSA, right? Mm -hmm. You know, some requirements in the evaluation, you know, it showed like that I'd be amenable to treatment Mm -hmm. and safe in the community, that sort of thing. But, you know, they diagnosed me in a number of ways and one of the things they (laughs) diagnosed me with was, you know, possible body dysmorphia. And I'm like, okay, great. But (laughs) like didn't actually treat it <laughs> till till much much later and and i i actually i i do want to say like i i did end up working with a therapist that was really great around that who
3: mm.
0: i met through that but i worked with in not in that capacity but on my own on, on all those things, which really helps a ton but yeah i i i just say all this to say like that like body issues and like how I felt about my body and what the heck do I th- you know, think about my body and bodies and, like, ha- has been really quite something in, in my mental health
3: mm-hmm.
0: or at times, you know, lack of it, right? A lot of my stability and comfort and, I don't know, I want to say health, I mean, I, I feel like that's, that's kind of a, a cheap way out, but a lot of my health now comes from having a, a new relationship with my body. And what is that new relationship? Uh, I don't know. I mean, certainly more respect. Definitely more capacity to accept.
2: Yeah, I know in our meeting, our spiritual reading, whatever it is group, <laughs> <laughs> that idea of acceptance has come up a lot I know you grew up with a Christian background
3: mm-hmm.
2: where would you say you are now?
0: spiritual non-religious <laughs> I that's yeah. I mean, that's a great question I mean mostly I think in terms of spiritual principles mm-hmm. rather than metaphysical realities Mm -hmm. (laughs) um because i never really could get my head around those (laughs) Mm -hmm. i just kind of chose to focus and deal with what i can right i i did however come into some buddhist practices Mm -hmm. which i've really greatly appreciated and which have helped me a lot I don't think it'd be fair to call myself a buddhist <laughs> but uh i don't know i don't know yeah i've sort of picked and choose my way along
2: i i have a sense that your your thoughts on acceptance not just thoughts but your i don't know if i feel comfortable using the word aura but like your uh, the vibes that i get yeah. from mm-hmm. you in terms of acceptance I, i've had a feeling that that's come from your more buddhist ideas mm-hmm. is that accurate
0: or at least how i've interpreted them right <laughs> right which which maybe i'll i'll go ahead and expound on a little bit what does acceptance mean to me you know in a very real sense i'm a pragmatist <laughs> right and that's how i've taken a lot of spirituality for me and recovery overall It's a very pragmatic approach and the sense of, well, what works, right? Right. And the other sense, okay, let's talk about acceptance, right? If I can't change something, then it has no benefit to me (laughs) to sit and bemoan it, (laughs) right? To say that this thing should not be... Right. This is terrible. Uh, I the only thing that I'm doing is making my life less livable. Which, you know, I, I I understand that as a lot of the sense of Buddhist attachments and and even then like ultimately like there's just many times in my life I, I just have a very pragmatic decision of deciding <laughs> is this thing it's in front of me that I don't like uh, how meaningful or important it is. Is it to me? Mm. Is it worth some effort in trying to change it? Can I change it? Right? And it's, it's, it's Just making a very clear decision on this, you know, about how I want to spend my energies and, and is it really actually even meaningful or effective if I do so this is really necessary for me to do because you know in in my life I've I would say I've I've squandered a lot of energy (laughs) right Mm -hmm. I've sat in bitterness about things that uh, that I really can't do anything about and it has not improved my life (laughs) doing so and ultimately, right, I, I, I'm trying to eke out a life here, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to live in a way that I that I can live, that I can maintain.
3: Mm. Yeah.
2: Mm. Yeah. Accepting limitations is something you've, you've said a couple of times. Mm. And because of your conviction and your suspended sentence, mm. you have quite a few limitations. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, yeah.
2: And so I, I know on the one hand, you have these limitations.
3: Yeah.
2: And and you, you accept the fact that you have these. And then at the same time, I know that you are, you know, have done advocacy work yeah. and things like that to
0: change yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: that. How... Describe that to me.
0: Oh yeah. Um, talk, talk more. About yeah, it. everything you say is true, and it's also hard. Like it's a hard problem, uh, and I, I don't know that I understand this entirely. Right, like this. Mm-hmm. This is something that I'm I'm continually sort of reformulating and like figuring out. Like, what does this mean for me? I mean, just today I was talking about that. Like, wh- what am I doing? What does it mean? Yeah, so I was executive director of such an organization for a while, right? I stepped down because I didn't feel like I was... I stepped down for a number of reasons, but I think at at the core, I wasn't really prepared to do the kind of advocacy I think that was expected of me again, right? And uh, because, I would say, like, I'm not somebody... Who knows their mind oftentimes and like I'm comfortable with that like like I, I see that as a virtue right to at least not always know my mind right or maybe to often not know my mind and to be willing to change it and to say you know I don't know maybe live in doubt I'm not sure doubts quite the right term but uh, let me come back okay so the advocacy what does that mean? What does that look like for me uh, with acceptance?
2: Actually, could you hmm. would you mind telling me you what your limitations are?
0: Oh, what are my limitations? Like, yeah. yeah, uh okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it really differs from person to person. And actually, as far as my judgment and tenets goes, right, what the mm-hmm. court told Tells me it's it's actually very easily articulated. Said I obey all laws. All right, that's number one. No jaywalking. Okay, that's a little different. Uh, actually, okay. <laughs> uh, there's, there, there's a bit uh, that that's a that's a civil um, oh, okay. law as opposed to a legal issue, right? So it is actually seen very differently between jaywalking and huh? <laughs> <Yeah, yeah. laughs> that would be pretty <laughs> difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alright, so uh obey all laws. Uh second one is uh obey, obey my conditions of the Department of Corrections, right? Third one is uh no contact it's very interesting around gendering too. No contact with minor females until or less approved by Department of Corrections and Therapy. Contact with minor males is approved. Or it is a is allowed as approved by therapy. And Wasn't then, it the first
2: one also allowed by therapy?
0: It cuts out DOC.
2: Okay, so yeah. they're both both involve the therapy thing, yeah. but only one of them has the DOC part. Yeah, yeah, and also the wording
0: a little different, and it probably has some legal meaning. One one is like no contact allowed. The other one says contact is allowed as approved by. And and it's a little, it's a fine distinction that I I don't totally track, but it does certainly cut out DOC, right? And then no contact with uh, my victim uh, until or less approved by DOC treatment and the victim's mother. Um, Yeah, so that's it. And really there's no problem with that, right? Like, that's that's very easy to live with. Okay. But that's not the reality of the situation, sort of what happens, right? So so then there's Department of Corrections, and they have their own set of rules. Um, so
2: to clarify, uh, you think that the first part is, let's say, just? Oh, yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, I, I would consider that just. I mean, this isn't very light, so most people have way more restrictions than that, right? Um, I was in very much a different situation, I had a house, so I bought a house with somebody I met in treatment, right, and he had some, like, 30 different conditions, right, a whole bunch of things, including, like, he's got to uh, disclose to anybody he works for about his offense, right, okay, (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I, I don't really understand the meaning of that, right? Like, there's nothing yeah that was, just, you know, connected with work for him uh, in this way. But, yeah, it, it, and it's been a barrier, right, for employment. And also a barrier for being self-employed, right? And, like, mm-hmm. Department of Corrections likes to then say, okay, well, any client you have or, you know, any business mm-hmm. partners or, you know, uh, you do a business deal with somebody, you got to disclose to them, you know? all sorts of things which you do not ways have this goes i i didn't have any of those things no but but there's there's that catch-all right the number two in, in my list is like you know obey all the rules and conditions of dsc and that ends up encompassing a lot of stuff right yeah. and so like there, there's some minor things there about like okay so I, I have to report to dsc like once a month i have to you know, I have to take regularly used to be regularly scheduled polygraphs honestly like i haven't had one now in like two and a half years because i've been on supervision now for like 13 years right it used to be like every quarter so like four times a year i had regularly scheduled polygraphs those things are can be excruciating right it's an interrogation ultimately right and also like get asked all sorts of uncomfortable and gross stuff sometimes and you're in such a disadvantaged position going into that right um so deprived of any sort of power yeah. that you become very it, like you're easily abused yeah right and and so people polygraphers can I, I you know can be very nasty with you and you know you just have to kind of deal with it and, you know, also, odd things, like, <laughs> I had to sign at one point about being, uh, I, I had to sign that I was not being compelled to take a polygraph, right? But you were. But I was, yeah. And, and, and when I point this out, I pointed this out, I texted the I'm like, I, and, and also, like, I'm a pretty, pretty nervous person overall, right, a pretty anxious person overall, and I'm like, okay, I, I'm perjuring myself right before I take a polygraph. <laughs> right like i'm like how am i gonna do on the polygraph I feel like you know i was it, it was kind of messing with my head right yeah. and uh you know i was trying to tell him i was like well but no and he had some like rationale for you know why he thought i wasn't it's like oh no because you agreed when you took your plea deal i'm like but what <laughs> anyways But you know, I mentioned this thing. Well, it's like, well, you know, you got to sign it, or I'm going to go talk to your CCO, and you're going to go to jail, right? (laughs) Like,
2: so no questioning at all. Of
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's just it. That that is very close. Yeah. So you know, questioning, which which isn't necessarily like even pushing back, but like it could be legitimately like trying to understand what's going on, or yeah, and that can be met sometimes, as I was saying, like very abusively, like this, you know, these these sort of power trips that happen and um so so yeah there's the regular polygraphs right and and you know basically they ask tr- checking to see if like following your conditions and stuff if you fail a polygraph and I mean polygraphs aren't they're not very re- accurate no no they're not reliable right and if you fail a polygraph it's not supposed to be like ground for um any sanctions although in reality it kind of can be usually I think what it means is like you then become scrutinized much more heavily, right? Like, okay, so some other things. I'm not allowed to travel out of the county unless I get an exclusive pass, which actually is very relevant right at the moment, right? So I've been talking with my CCO about going on a honeymoon in the San Juans um, here in May, right, or so this month. And for two weeks, and my CCO was like, yeah, you can go. Yeah, no problems. I looked at everything. Everything looks good. I still don't have a pass for this, though. And, like, I'm in this weird dance where I'm like, okay, like, I got to kind of ask again for this pass, but I can't ask too much because then, you know, I, I can't be pushy. I can't be seen as, you know, trying to, like, you know, control or, like, push on, on, on my CCO. But, like, there's a very real chance that, like, And and I actually had this, I was denied any travel for two and a half years, including to like visit my father who had a cancer diagnosis, right? Mm -hmm. And I wasn't ever told, no, you can't go. I was always told, yes, sure, fine, send me, you know, it was, I was just ignored and not actually given the pass, Mm -hmm. right? So I was continually told, yeah, you'd be able to go, just send it to me, email, and then no follow-up right? And I can't actually get the thing that I must have legally to leave the county, right? So that happened for two and a half years straight, right? So, um, and right now, like, after having that I'm like, okay, what's going to happen? So, you know, I sort of live on the, uh, with that kind of anxiety and like, what's going to happen? But, uh, yeah, there's that. Um, there's, uh, so not allowed to use pornography, uh, which again is pretty reasonable. However, some polygraphers like to have very interesting definitions of what they think pornography is. Sometimes they say like any nudity at all is considered pornography. Yeah. Right, and uh, there's
2: a lot of movies that fall under that. Kind yeah, of yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Right. Technically, I think like like I don't think this would actually hold up, but technically, like I'm. I remember having a conversation with CCO at one point about you know, being able to watch movies with any nudity in it. And my she wouldn't tell me no, but also wouldn't say yes, is playing sort of this game around this. Right. Right? Because he probably can't tell me no. But at any rate, sort of what we arrived at is I close my eyes. <laughs> There's an nudity in a movie, and, you know, my partner tells me what to work. It, it's really weird as an adult to, to do this, right? Um, and it's bizarre I mean therapy you know I talked to some therapists after this you know same therapist I had in you know my treatment and they're like yeah this is just weird like <laughs> like i don't know what well, that's also about, there's, but,
2: there are movies from other countries that are more comfortable with having like children's nudity but not in a sexual way yeah because, like yeah, also yeah. that which is its own
0: that would of, be a Pretty significant issue for me. Um, I, 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 I don't mean personally, like being triggered, because it actually isn't, but how that would be perceived yes. yeah. would be pretty darn serious. Um, you know, for a long time I couldn't vote. That's recently been restored to me. I cannot uh, serve on a jury. That's unfortunate. I cannot contact anybody who is currently in total control. So like I, I, I've been wanting to write letters to prisoners right. and like um, Very interested in like supporting that. like people on death row that sort of thing. I'm not allowed to do that. Right, but the biggest thing
3: Yeah,
0: re- really like yeah. The, the largest concerns it's not so much like what liberties do I have? It's really the fact that and you know, I mentioned earlier. I have a five-year suspended sentence, right? Mm-hmm. I have five years in prison and in that environment as trans individual right
3: yeah
0: hanging over my head for the rest of my life and it's really like it's the terror of that right yeah and the thing is if i'm ever accused of anything it's like i go into jail immediately there's no process for this yeah there doesn't have to be anything supporting this right i mm-hmm. i just go into jail i sit there until I have a hearing, and that can take up to a month. I, I've heard horror stories of it taking up to like half a year, but honestly, in my experience, and I've seen other people go through this. It's about thirty days or so. You can get in, you can get in front of the judge and have your hearing. And meanwhile, right, I've lost a lot, right, and I lose my job. I, you know, possibly could lose my house, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I lose my income, uh, there's all the stress, you know, with family and, you know, my partner and everything that happens mm-hmm. with that, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really, like, that's the scary thing, yeah. is that I could just be picked up at any moment, and, and, and also, like, I, I've had one CCO that and I kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, that it was very, very, very nasty with me. And maybe I'll to tell one of those stories.
2: Yeah, I was thinking specifically of the, the time where he had someone stay. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. so, um, so I think, I think it was engaged at the time. I don't know if I was engaged, if we were just dating, but anyways, my, my partner at the time, I know, my fiance maybe, I had a friend, or has a friend, right? And her friend was, I don't know exactly what was going on, like how much of a health thing it was, how much of a mental health versus physical health thing, but was having some heart issues, mm-hmm. like heart palpitations, and was concerned about her health, and didn't want to be alone. Right? Mm-hmm. My, my, my partner had recently moved in with me, uh, had previously lived with this friend and wanted to be there as support of her friend. And so she asked uh, me if her friend could stay with us mm-hmm. overnight, and so her friend stayed on the couch, my partner was with me in my room, we slept, uh, we also had two other people in the house own that house with somebody and then we have a renter and uh yeah there's that and then I worked from home that day and I stayed just kind of watched over her friend right so she was kind of sitting on the couch in the area and I was over in the dining room working at the mm-hmm. table and so my CTO comes rushing over it didn't say he got worried about her having stayed over, I think he did, I'm not sure how, I'm not sure if it was my housemate had maybe reported something, or I actually had some suspicion of my, uh, phones being monitored, I don't know, I I really don't, but at any rate, right, like, he, he got some idea something was going on, and rushed over, and... You know, I came into the door, and he's like, what's going on? Why are you sitting here with this woman? Uh, Was uh, very alarmed, and evidently, like, I I think, you know, he thought I was being inappropriate in some way. And
2: there is no rule, like, in, the rules for you are about children, like, and not about adults. True, yep. Okay, I just want to clarify yeah, yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, me. nothing
0: about it at all. Well, the only thing is, uh, so any, you have to bring any romantic partner in right. for approval before. And that was actually interesting. A brief segue is um, when I met my, my current partner before, so, so we met uh, on a vacation, right, and hit it off. And before I could go on a date after that, Not only did I have to... I disclosed, actually, like, that weekend when we met, right? Mm. Uh, But not only did I have to disclose, but she had to come in and meet my CCO. And my CCO ended up reading... It was a probable cause statement about why they picked me up. Which I want to be really clear about the only thing in my probable cause and the only thing in my case file is my testimony against myself, right? Like, Mm. there was no other... Evidence or testimony or anything except what I've said And so they is reading a statement of things that I said about myself <laughs>
3: right
0: um, To her, you know, so that she could make a decision About whether or not she wanted to be in a relationship with me.
2: And you had just met her
0: Yeah, well, she refused for a while and we weren't allowed to date, uh, until t- so it's like maybe she a month afterwards.
2: Meaning your CO refused, or no, your partner
0: refused. My partner did not want to meet with us because it's really intimidating going in.
2: There we go. Okay.
0: To not meet with sense. an officer, right? It's like in like she, she barely knew me. It's like why do I want to go into the Department of Corrections and sit down in a secure facility? across the desk with a corrections officer and I don't even know you so we can go on a date
2: (laughs) yeah and also what you specify as a date we wanted
0: to go to the movies right right Right? (laughs) like
2: hanging out and and a date is well
0: and, and in fact like She's was like, okay, well, forget this. Can, can't we just, like, be casual? Can't we just hang out? And, the, like, it was all just an, a huge issue, right? You mm-hmm. know? Not even, like, having any, like, romantic, you know, overtures or anything. It's just, like, yeah, it was crazy. And, yeah, she ended up going in, right? And we did that process. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, it was a real barrier to getting into a relationship. But, anyway, so, so there's that context, right? Yeah of uh, something that I do have to do right and so I think the concern was that okay there's this woman that stayed over at my house and I don't know maybe we had sex or something right like like this, this is... is what I think is maybe in the head of, of my cco and so like he, he rushes over and forced me at that point to disclose to this woman mm-hmm. and the story then that he, he gave is like okay like I'm not allowed to be alone. He tells me at this point. This is the first time I hear this. That I'm not allowed to be alone uh, with a woman who doesn't know my offense. I'm like, okay, uh, this was never given to me as a condition. And then, in fact, later on, like, it's still not a condition that I have, mm-hmm. right? You know, I I have a list of enumerated conditions from from D O C of things I have to. Like, this is not one of them. Yeah. Uh, and I have that list now because I regret. I'm like, okay, like I I need to know, like, what do I have to do? Like, let me see this list, and it's not on it. But, anyways, uh, yeah, he he was he was freaked out, right? And I guess I get. I mean, he has concerns, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, to some extent, let's let's just think about like where he's at. How is he supposed to do his job, right? Like, mm-hmm. what sort of things is he actually supposed to be watching out for, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we really have to ask these questions. What's the point in him actually doing anything? And, you know, if you assume that there's a point in him doing something, Mm -hmm. then maybe this is the sort of thing he needs to watch out for, right? Mm -hmm. Anyways, uh, yeah, so he forced me to disclose on the spot, which I did. It turned out well. I mean, In the end, actually, I I got somebody sort of in my corner, right? Mm -hmm. Um, She... Was really horrified at what you know Department of Corrections had just done. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. Right. That like that that's mm-hmm. that's how this ended out. But you know, I, I was I was trying to I even tell my CC. I'm like, I'm like is is this really the right thing to do right now? Like she's having some heart trouble, <laughs> right? Like, like this is the whole reason why she's here. Keep things nice and calm, <laughs> right? I'm like. This is not really good for her. It's like no, we have to. If you if you don't, we're going to. You know, we're gonna tell her. But like you need to tell. You know, sort of thing. And I'm like okay, well, you know, like I didn't really, and feel like I had a choice in the matter, right? And very possibly I didn't. I mean, the the threat here is, you know, right. I go to jail if I don't, right? I don't think they told me that at this point, but you know, like that's always in my head, right? And uh, yeah, so. That happened, you know, we had quite some back and forth with my CCO for some time after this. And it even got to the point where like like he asked me, you know, asked me, I was like, does your fiance know that this woman is here? I said, Yes. She asked me to stay with her. And and, and when I said that, right, and, and, and this is this is part of the problem, right? Like that What with DOC in my experience, right, is like there is no defense.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Like nothing is defensible. Every answer becomes another problem. Mm. And in this case, where this went was, well then if your fiance is a problem for you know, mm-hmm. it is a bad influence on you, right? Because they're convinced this is a wrong thing to happen, right? If your fiance is a bad influence on you, then we can take this relationship away,
3: mm-hmm.
0: right? And this is what I live with, right? So I, 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 so the problem is, it's not so much I got these conditions, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's nothing about that at all. It's about the power imbalance and the automatic assumption that what I'm doing must be wrong. And and also the huge, the stakes are too high, right? If something goes wrong for me, I lose everything. I, I could be told that I'm no longer allowed to be around my wife. I'm sorry, I don't know why I use that word. Uh, we don't use that word, around my spouse. <laughs> I, I could be told I have to move out of this house I can be told I have to quit my job. I can be sent to jail and up for revocation, right? So up to spend these five years in prison. Mm -hmm. I can't, you know, these things just happen. There is a process eventually. Like, you know, I do get to go to court and make a case. But even if I win, things are kind of stacked against me in court already. Like, it's hard, right? Um, But even if I win the process of going through that experience, right, of being faced with the losing everything, right, of every people around me being faced with all that stress of me not being able to go to work because I'm incarcerated, uh, with, mm-hmm. you know, not being able to pay bills because I'm incarcerated, yeah. you know, for those 30 days or however long until I get to make my, you know, the stakes are too high, right? and yeah. and And I live with this every day, right, and I live in the fear of, Oh my God, what's so, because I've experienced some of it. I mean, it's rare. There's There's been a few times in 13 years, which if you look at it, okay, that's not too much. But still, h- how much longer am I going to live in my life? How many more of these times am I going to have to go through? And like, how many more can I get through? Like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I feel like I'm just waiting for everything to collapse on my head.
2: <laughs> yeah, well... Even if these things aren't happening all the time, the threat of it, the fear of yeah, it, is yeah, always... there exactly. Present. I was noticing how when you were growing up, you grew up with an alcoholic, violent father, mm-hmm. a brother who picked on you, schoolmates who picked on you, someone who raped you more than once, it sounds like, mm-hmm. and then you grow up in the legal system is one that involves harassment, for instance, your time in jail, mm-hmm. and also harassment and threat from the people who work within the system.
0: Yeah, I, the, the, and there's just like casual—it's casual, right? Well, maybe the one guy is malicious, but like most often, I think it's just casual. Like they just don't consider mm-hmm. there's any problem. I had an experience. <laughs> the therapy told me over and over again, it was like, I have a like a confession problem. I talk about too many things that don't matter. I over-disclose, they told me, mm. right? An example of this this, so I had a CCO, and I was disclosing of, you know, well, I was just terrified, right? Like, I'm dealing with all these things, and I, I, I saw an ad that was triggering to me, right? What do I say? Like, initially, I saw an ad that was about, like, prehistoric you know sea monsters or whatever I don't know it's some silly thing I don't think I clicked on that mm-hmm. and then it ended up being one of those like ad holes like taking mm-hmm. in all sorts of things right mm-hmm. and there was uh there was another ad that was like triggering about you know some like sexy selfies or something like that right mm-hmm. and I saw that and I was like oh crap like I can you know I need to get out of this right and I did, and I just reported it to my CCO because that was very much like what we we're trained to do, right? Like, right. okay, just you know, dump everything, you know, I have polygraphs too, and like, oh I saw this mm-hmm. thing, you know. And there's no nudity or anything in it, right? Like but it was salacious. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned this, and then my CCO went and did a Google search for sexy selfies and found a whole bunch of pornography that she then showed me. Oh. Right. And it was like, what the heck? And, and, and just, like, with all this anger and bitterness in her voice, she's like, does this look like... I'm like, this is not what I told you. For yeah. one. But also, like, I, I want to be very honest. Right? That was sexual abuse. Right? I Yeah. Like, from a legal perspective, mm-hmm. it's a little hard because, like, she didn't do it. I don't believe it at all. Like, it was not done with uh, she had no, like, sexual interest in it, right? So, right. But, like, it was punishment.
2: Yeah. She forced you to look at pornography. Yeah.
0: She she turned her screen to me and showed me that, you know, and I looked away, you know. And let me say also, you know, the experience having been raped by a woman <laughs> as a child, right? Like, th- this was not easy to do, like... You know, and also somebody has all this authority over me. Like, this was terrifying and just casual, right? Like, I doubt she gave it a second thought. And so, like, this is what I have to deal with, you know? This is, and and the thought is, like, this is what I deserve, right? Needless to say, like, I don't report stuff like that anymore. Yeah. Because I don't need to, you know, it's like, Whatever, you know, but I, I, I like, I'm not going to set myself up for abuse. Yeah. I mean, similarly, sorry, I got a little bit of an accident. I just want to say one more thing. Like, you know, like, I also give regular UAs, right, urinalysis. Uh, I have to give samples, right? I have to peanut a cup,
3: mm-hmm.
0: drug testing, that sort of thing, right? And, like, one day I couldn't. I'm in the DOC office and the staff member, like, just gets pissed at so while I'm still like exposed, throws the door open, right? I'm like exposed to the office. <laughs> right? And again, it's just casual. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, yeah, so so this is this is the problem. It's it's not can I what are my liberties? Can I do this thing, can I do that thing? No, it's that I'm exposed to people who hate me. And are just think I'm worthless mm. and they get to do whatever they want with me for the rest of my life.
2: Are you ever afraid in your advocacy work that they would ever go after you for doing advocacy work?
0: Well a little bit honestly though I, I feel like I have good cover for that, right, like I, I feel like we still have that like we should still have strong enough traditions in this country, right, like that that would be protected. I told them, I mentioned, it. I don't think, I don't think my current tissue knows all the advocacy work that I do, but I, I don't just, I don't, hey, by the way, I do know I do. you know, because, because then that looks like something else, it looks like I'm, I'm sort of threatening or like I'm trying to do something, right, so like, yeah. And again, like, this is the dance I play every day, right? Like, how does this come across, right? And I have to yeah. think about that because I'm always suspect, right? So, so I'm always playing this game of what do I say, what don't I say, how do I manage this relationship with these people who have total power over me, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to that, uh, no, I don't think it's going to come back directly on me. But it does affect me. So I have monitoring software in my computer, right? This is part mm-hmm. of some of the things I have to do with GFC, yeah. right? It will trigger, like, it'll come up and say, like, there's an issue for all sorts of things, but certainly anything that has the word sex in it, right? Including, Including anything that has the word sex offense in it, right? Or sex offender, or, you know, if I... So we do some work with the uh, sex offender policy board. If, if I clicked on something that said sex offender policy board, it would say, hey, there's a problem in Michael's computer usage, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, it certainly limits what I do, right? Because I don't want to have those conversations, right? Like, I want to keep things clean. But every now and then, like, there's just things that, like, really, like, I have no idea. I guess I think I talked to you about this one. Like, I got surprised where I, so there's this new, uh, Show on PBS, it's like PBS Voices or whatever. Mm. And one of their episodes was entitled, How is the Gay Rodeo Different? Gay, apparently, is one of those words that my software doesn't like. <laughs> and so that came up as, and how, how they put it, it's highly questionable.
3: <laughs> mm.
0: Because they talked about the gay rodeo. That one really pissed me off. I, I had to call somebody in advocacy around this. I'm like, did you know? There's that too, right? But also like yeah, I remember mean, I'm sitting in that terror and I sit in the terror of what sort of things like the is gonna say about me and so like the very narrow scope of things I do online. It also keeps me out of, like, certain recovery things online, too, to be honest. I had some software at one point that was taking screenshots, and so it would get screenshots mm-hmm. of people that I was meeting with. It's not a thing right now, but, like, that is something that I dealt with, and, like, I'm working with people that are really interested in, you know, anonymity and privacy and stuff. And actually, I would say, okay, again, on some effect, like, like I don't work with people I can't guarantee the privacy, especially right now, and pandemic, right? Everything's electronic, right? And I have all this monitoring, right?
2: Yeah, I, so I have software on my, my devices by choice. Mm -hmm. Like I I decided to do that. But the things that it picks up on can be pretty wild. For instance, any sexual recovery thing, as Mm -hmm. you said, Mm -hmm. the word suicide. Oh, interesting. And I I did realize, like I had to change I had to change things in the software to make it so that it didn't take things from messages and things like that. Mm. Uh, Fortunately, the people that I had connected to it are, I trust them, Mm. but I was like, "Uh, no, I don't want you, you know, I was texting with someone in recovery who was suicidal. And so it wasn't Mm. even related about sex, but it was, they were suicidal and my accountability, like my accountability partners right. would see this text of these people oh. and their names, oh. and and I remember fortunately I was able to go through because I have some amount of control over this <laughs> and I could say do not look at my texts or my emails or like anything that has uh, like because uh, that was never my problem.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, free, and this you know. is getting sent to law enforcement, right? Right. So there's privacy concerns all over the place. All over the place. Right, with the monitoring of third-party individuals, right? Mm. But, I don't know, yeah, so, I live with that, right? I live with that fear a lot. It's hard, I mean, it's hard not being able to move on. Which, which isn't to say, like, I want to forget, because yeah. I don't, right? Like, yeah. I want to... I mean, really, mostly, I want to be in community, <laughs> right? But yeah, I'm in a place where, I, where I'm where i terrified to go to any event that would have the word community in it hmm. because of how that might be perceived. Oh, uh, community, huh? Oh, what kids were there? Right?
2: I know you weren't able to visit your partner's church for this reason, right?
0: I know, uh, we were looking at starting a, to go to a church together, not that she oh, had I a see. church ready, okay. but yeah. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that's kind of another interesting question. We probably could go to church, but a way that, they, that my CCO wanted to do that is I write what, what they call a safety plan. Basically say how I go to church and what conditions am I allowed to be there and what do I do in this case, that case, this case, blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. I've done this. I mean, I've, I've lived this way for many years. And th- this is what I did in treatment. I think it has some sense. It It is reasonable and, like, really kind of good at training somebody to look at what situations you're in and, like, knowing how to navigate things and keeping myself out of what would be quote unquote dangerous situations, mm-hmm. not that I feel that I pose a danger to people, but more like how do I keep myself out of situations in which people might get freaked out about if they found out about me after the fact, right? Mm-hmm. How do I keep myself safe, basically from society? It's, it's helpful for that, but at one point, like literally, like I had, I would say between thirty and fifty different scenarios like this you know what do i do when i'm grocery shopping what do i do when i'm just out shopping normally what do i do in a movie theater what do i do on a bus what do i do this one i'm generally walking around out on the street what do i do every scenario that i could possibly have in my life Mm -hmm. and each one of these what do i do sort of questions right like there's like anywhere between like 10 and 20 different points right? right these all become, this is a contract then which I have to live by, which I'm legally bound to. And if we just do the math on this, this is hundreds upon hundreds of rules then that I assume and take. And so this is a problem for me in a number of ways. One is, I've kind of talked about being anxious, right? And if you say like, uh this is very anxiety producing for me all the like uh am i following all the rules right i don't know like how i remember them (laughs) right it's like yeah i I, i'm not overestimating things here like I, i don't know like 300 to 600 like individual like rules that i have for all these scenarios and like which scenario is like pertinent now and that was really overwhelming and I don't have that now in my life, right? Like that ended when I finished treatment and actually I went through a process with treatment where we wrote what we call the lifetime boundaries. It was the one set of thing, a very small limited set of things that I was supposed to have for everything in my life, right? And I did that and I wrote that out and I got this signed by my therapist. And that was great. And then I took it to do Ducey and they're like, we don't care. We are not interested at all. I, I was so like my my wouldn't even look at it. It's like, I don't care what your therapist says, I just said straight up. <laughs> right? And so I'm like, Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So like they never acknowledged it. And it's not anything about like what I actually live by. It was pretty simple, but yeah, I don't have that. And I I just can't I can't bear the thought of going back to that. Um, I don't want to bring that into my life. The means is I, I just don't... I don't do things like go to church, which might give me some scrutiny. Mm-hmm. I do go to a lot of the... I mean, I, I go grocery shopping, obviously, right? Nobody's requiring me right now to have, like, special dispensation for that. Mm-hmm. But I did... I had to have special dispensation for, like, seven years. Right? <laughs> like, to do... Anything in public.
3: Mm.
0: Yeah. But also, I I also took longer in therapy than a lot of people do. Because I initially had to, or, like, kind of liked it. I mean, like, it was kind of safe for me. But honestly, looking back at it, I have... I had a lot more freedom when I was in therapy than since I've been out. I have a lot less, because I don't have somebody advocating for me, right? Mm. Do you see you really likes having therapists, because see they can be sued by the public for failing to properly supervise yeah. somebody like if i went out and did something they could be held liable. but a the therapist goes and advocates for me, well then the therapist can be held liable. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i had much more freedom <laughs> when i was in therapy
2: yeah, it sounds like a, a lot of fear of threat.
0: I, I mean, I'll acknowledge, like, part of that is, this is, I mean, if I had to describe a little bit of my problem, some of my, some of the difficulties in my life that I've faced, which have caused problems for me, right, and like, dealing with my mental health, like, a lot of that has been around anxiety, right, I, diagnoses with ptsd and generalized anxiety that sort of thing right so yeah i'm reactive like uh, mm-hmm. let me call that out i've also never met somebody else in the same sort of situation i am that doesn't share my sort of anxiety right yeah i mean it's also to show like yeah we got some freaking ptsd like it's traumatic we, we don't know like mm-hmm. it's just a sense that anything can happen at any moment and like Nobody's gonna care.
2: What I was also realizing was that you are not the only one who's
0: afraid. Well, in many way, I mean, I mean, there's other people in situations like me, but yeah, so I got to think everybody in my orbit.
2: So there's everybody in your orbit, but in that moment, I was thinking you were saying the CEO, the DOC likes it. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they can get sued.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I was realizing that moment that they are also afraid.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, DOC doesn't want to supervise me. They don't. Yeah. I mean, they've said as much. (laughs) My my CCO, to me, directly, but I mean, like, organizationally, they've come out, like, in the criminal sentencing task force, you know, was just looking at, you know, changing a lot of sentencing laws and stuff. They're like, they want to get rid of lifetime supervision. They're like this is not helpful. It's funny, <laughs> you know. And one side of them mouth, of the quote is like, "Okay, you know, it's been shown in the literature that anything over five years is is actually leads to more recidivism, right?" Mm-hmm. And then they turn around and ask for ten years. But I mean, 10 still great. Like I'm on thirteen already, right? Yeah. <laughs> like um, and, and counting. And uh, yeah.
2: But yeah, it sounds like there's one way that you all have the the same opinion, which is that lifetime supervision, you both want lifetime supervision to be done with.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, the problem is with the legislature, right? Politically, it's really nasty. Yeah. Right? Anybody who votes for this one can really face a lot of public backlash, or at least and if they don't face, like, direct public backlash, like, it ends up becoming dirt, right? Like, it's easy to, do, you know, start slinging mud. It's like, oh, yeah, well, they voted for the sex offenders and rapists and let them get out, right? And, then, and there's this fear. There's this fear of, you know, the monster that's, that just can't wait to get get their hands on another child. And at the same time they don't even understand what actually ends up happening to the to those very children.
1: week in part two of my conversation with michael
0: i didn't have the capacity to deal with this horror right what happened to me
3: mm-hmm.
0: as a child when all we have or the words monster can't heal my is not just my story it's other people's stories mm-hmm. as well right if i use my name and then i say yeah i I abused my daughter. Then I'm also putting my daughter's story out there, and I I think there's a lot of care to be had. At the same time, what ends up happening that so we're so afraid of how people out there in the world are going to take a story and use it against people
3: mm-hmm.
0: that we never say anything for good or ill. <laughs> i've always been very beholden to that concept of like speaking the truth i believe in the power of truth as a mechanism of healing and i want to see more healing in the world